You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, guys? Now this is this, this is, is special. This is huge. I I didn't haven't told this story, but when I was growing up, there was a moment in time where the name Alexis uh, was always referred to as a girl's name. Okay. Yes. Uh, so I still d- refer to it as. I girl. know. Yeah, you were one of my bullies growing up. So, <laughs> which is impossible. I kicked the shit out of you. Anyway, uh, I'm a big guy. God, you, you're a, you're a, you're a shirt rack. Uh, so. Uh, there was a time where my friends were like, "Yo, let's combat this by calling you Alexi." Right. And that was inspired by the gentleman we're about to talk to right now. If any of you guys have ever been soccer fans and you were soccer fans during the 90s, then this person was a redheaded beast of a man who at one point, I think, scored only goals with his head, uh, played in the Serie A. He's an American legend. Put your hands together unless you're driving for the one, the only Alexi Lalas, everybody. Uh, Alexi, what's Woo. up, man? Yeah. Wow. wow. Buddy. Wow, what an intro. What an I mean, intro. I'm trying. I, you know, you're a kindred spirit here. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that I, that I maybe in some small way made your, uh, your youth that much more bearable. I have had people come up to me because, uh, because of my red hair and say that um, I, in, in some small way, made it, I guess, a little cooler. Not cool, but just a little possibly cooler uh, and, and made the 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 uh, adolescent time which we know is so difficult maybe a little bit easier so i will take that i will take that for sure i grew up uh, you know I'm, I'm we're both latinos um we grew up or i married a redhead and she used to get made fun of for it and i was like who's making fun of you for redhead i never thought of that i never understood that i wasn't around that and she's like yeah she's like people make fun of me for my red hair all the time i was like you have no idea you guys to us you're like Nicki minaj to the hood you know what i mean like that's what exotic <laughs> looks like fair skin red hair we're like like, oh my god, where did she come from? Like if Nicki Minaj walked through Dublin. The only time that it really I mean bordered on exotic was when we, we used to travel to uh, to Asia with the national team and and uh, and I would have you know this Pied Piper type of existence. <laughs> Even regardless of the soccer part of it, but just the, there's the red hair and the, you know wanting to touch the hair and do all that kind of stuff. But it is interesting if you were to take the things that people say about redheads and the, and the comfort level that people have about talking and in, in disparaging ways about redheads. Um, it, it is interesting <laughs> if you were to, you know, juxtapose it with other things in which we, uh, we completely condemn, but you know, we're, I think we are a hardy bunch and, uh, the, you know, the mutant gene, we, we take very, very seriously and it makes us able to withstand uh, whatever type of mocking that exists. But I do tell young kids, if there's anybody out there that's giving you a hard time and bullying you, Simply because of your red hair, just come talk to me, and we will sort that out right quick. Yeah, you are. You are. This is who you were on the pitch, and this is who you are still to this day. In a bunch of years, you're going to be a dude in a wheelchair bumping other dudes in wheelchairs. <laughs> where did you? Where did you get this attitude from? Where are you from? Uh, I mean, I, how is that? Po- you just. I always. I always looked up to folks like you because. I mean, even if I wasn't a tough guy, I always. I never took any shit. Like that was always my. And you're like you're speaking of Pied Piper. You're the head of that clan. I mean, you're right up at the forefront. 
Well, a couple of things. Uh, number one, I've always considered, even from an early age, myself an entertainer and a performer. And some people cringe, especially when you talk about sports, uh, when you call yourself a performer or an entertainer. Uh, just because you perform and entertain doesn't mean that you can't be genuine, authentic, and honest in the things that you do. And whether I was on the soccer field, I looked at it as a stage. And I did a lot of music growing up and, and performing. And I just looked at it as you rehearse or you train, and then you take it out in front of people. And the way that you look, your costume, um, the aesthetic that you portray, the personality, the character, the, the character that you play out there is as important as the actual uh, delivering of the lines or the actual playing of the game. And so I, I have looked at myself uh, both as a soccer player and now in television in the same way, in that I that the way I say something is as important as what I say. And uh, and and I don't apologize that uh, for that in any in, in any measure. And I haven't. And it was very comfortable for me to play that character and that that part. And was it all 100 percent me? Yeah, I, I would think because I was very comfortable being that person. Um, but I don't think that you maybe got all of me. And, and we all change as we as we go on. And, and uh, I look back on it fondly, though. Uh, the fact that it impacted, the fact that it helped me uh, establish a brand and all the different things that we talk about that oftentimes when you say that, pe once again, people people cringe. But it was manufactured to a certain extent, and it was something that I knew uh, would resonate, and, uh, and, and I'm proud of it to this day. Yeah, you pull no punches. Yeah, for sure. You might even throw some. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, yes. What did it feel like? Because when I was growing up, one of the things that I was surprised by. I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, which is just outside of Kearney. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, I went to grammar school in Kearney, and I found out that, you know, Tony Miola and uh, I believe Harks, there was a couple players from that area that were on yeah, the 94. Yep. Yeah, and I, I did never, I never put it together. I, it was, it hit me like a, like a, like a, like a brick when I found out that it, that kind of stuff was going on around me. And that was part of the reason why I started to really love soccer was because it was happening around me. Um, and it, I felt like I had a part in it somehow. And then I found out you played in the C, you were playing in the Serie A. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, when did all this happen? How come no one told me? And you were doing it at a time when no other Americans were really getting those opportunities, at least not a lot of them. And you sort of had to find your own way. There wasn't really a professional league in the U.S. You know, there yep. really wasn't an academy system. How much did that mean to you at the time? And now looking back at, you know, now we're sort of Americans are much more aware of the sport and it's fastest growing and it's, you know, beating NHL in attendance and NBA in attendance. Now where it's at, how did that feel to you back then? And how does it feel now seeing what's happening? It, it was Wild West on and off the field when it came to this, the 80s and the 90s when it, uh, when it, come, when it came to soccer. And, and, you know, for me, um, it was I lived the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. And so 1994, where um, you might get you guys might have been very, very young is back in the 1900s. And, and yeah. uh, most of your listeners probably, listeners probably weren't even born. <laughs> and I lived the power of how a World Cup can can change an individual. And it offered incredible opportunities on and off the field. And I milked it for all it was worth and burnt nice. both ends and had a blast doing it. I don't regret any of it. And one of the things that, that opened up was this opportunity to go to Italy. And, and keep, keep in mind that this was before the Bosman ruling. This is before the European community and all the, the, that opening um, and that certainly that migration to to uh, England. So right, Italy this was an Syria, era when they didn't even let redheads into yeah. Italy. You know <laughs> exactly. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was very very uh, privileged and special to be able to come into a very different type of Syria over there. But 
even, you know, I stayed there for a few years, had a wonderful experience and learned so much and became not just a better soccer player, but a better person living in that fishbowl and learning the language and being involved and immersed in that culture. But, but I always knew I wanted to come back and be part of uh, the start of a league and, and a league of our own, La Cosa Nostra, you know, our type of thing. <laughs> and, and, and one of the proudest days of my life was getting on the plane, coming back from Italy to start MLS. And as you guys know, soccer has changed so much. And there is this it's no longer niche. It's no longer underground. It's this soccer family and army that is discerning, is passionate, loves the game, also sees the game uh, in the international uh, context and, and loves the fact that we are supporting or playing uh, or being part of a soccer family that is, that, of, of a sport that's played all over, but is also very, very protective and proud of this unique soccer culture that we have that has, has defined a generation in the way they speak, the way they dress, the way they act, the way they look at themselves in the context of the world, all of those different things. I think you guys are tapping into it as comedians who recognize that, that soccer is, is more than a sport in, in the United States. And it's, it's almost a way of life. And we, 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 we hold it very, very dear and we protect it and we like to stand up for it oftentimes when it gets uh, pushed around. Oh, yeah. Well, I think some people would call us the Alexi Lalas of the comedy world. <laughs> That's right? damn right. Be- because to, to, to some extent, you know, you know, being comedians, uh, uh, soccer was, for the most part, a punchline in uh, in most of our lives. You know, anytime, especially when, now when we're hanging out at comedy clubs, like other comedians, we, we start talking about soccer and they're like, oh, these oh, guys, here we go are, again. You know, this, yeah. this, this dumb sport again. But, but slowly but surely, you know, uh, uh, even the, in, the people in the comedy world, they're starting to realize that they can't ignore the popularity and the growth of soccer. Wow, that's uh, that sounds incredibly like uh, our political climate today. <laughs> if, uh, if you want to look at uh, you know how some people uh, believe some different things, and yet they are made to feel that they are lesser than uh, lesser people for believing those things. But but look, I mean, and and I digress to, to politics. But little personal the, the agenda reality. there out of Alexi <laughs> yeah, Lalas. No, I know you've I mean, taken look, some heat. You, you could have taken what you said, and it could be applied to uh, our political landscape today too, in many many ways. But I, I think you've hit upon something in that. I think there are a lot more soccer people out there than people let let on. And I think that the soccer people out there, um, so for some people, we, we scare them away with soccer. And I, I think from one thing that we have to do a better job of is being more inclusive because soccer can be intimidating because there's some people that don't necessarily have a huge history of it. But for me, it's a simple game and you guys understand that. But once you get into the nitty gritty of it, that's where all the, the, the magic and the, and the love can be derived from, but getting that initial, uh, you know, uh, uh, welcoming type of moment in sometimes isn't easy. And so we have to focus on being more uh, inclusive. By the way, the inclusive part, uh, that could be applied to the political scene too. So this is, this is incredible, all the, uh, the parallels. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of parallels. Uh, and to step over that and to not talk about that at all, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about uh, bringing people in. And I think one of the things that people have mentioned in the past is when we have a LeBron in soccer, then people will yep. notice. When we have a Jordan, what you've traveled the world. I saw you on uh, ESPN Deportes speaking Spanish, okay? You did a whole interview in Spanish. Love it. Love which I mean, I wish you were one of my in-laws. Okay. Cause these people, they don't, my wife, I've been married for 11 years this year. And my wife's grandmother still calls me her granddaughter's friend. Okay. Uh, I wish they would accept me a little bit the way you accepted our language. You, you've been around, you be honest with us. 
what is it that we're not doing? What is it that we're missing? What is it going to take before we build, um, you know, as someone that can sort of, you know, maybe like a Pulisic, but like can capture the world's attention? Yeah. So I think one of the one of the things that we have to come to grips with um, is the fact that what what makes a country great doesn't necessarily make a team great. And and I and once again, I'm going to go back to you know, our melting pot, this whole melting pot that we talk about, which has made our country so unique and so great in so many ways, uh, oftentimes poses challenges because when it comes to a soccer team, uh, oftentimes if you think about soccer in the same way, it's easier to come together as a team. And yet we have this incredible diversity of thought in our country when it comes to soccer. Everybody thinks about the game in a different way, and it's based upon where, you, where you're from, where your parents are from, your ethnicity, your, your philosophy on life, all of these different things. And trying to put that together for a team is difficult. And many other countries, either by the fact that they are, they are so much older than ours or there's a, a longer history when it comes to soccer or just, just actual geography, uh, and therefore it's easier to get a lot of like-minded soccer people together to think about going in the same direction. I think that's, that's one thing that we have to recognize and respect that we have to figure out and get past. Uh, so like coming to, up with like an American style? Yeah. I mean, and that's, and what, but, but defining that, I mean, what, what is that? I mean, I, I think probably if you think about the quickest way to get a successful team is almost to be uh, less inclusive and more exclusive and saying, you know what, this is who we are going to be because it's the quickest way. Now, is that the best way? Is that the American way? Probably not. And that does scare people when it comes to a, the bigger context of what America should be and how it should be representative on their fields of play when it comes to a sporting team. But uh, but these are things that we need to talk about and be be honest about. And some of these things are a hindrance when it comes to, to progressing. When it comes to individual players, I believe that there's other players that could have as much, if not more, success than Christian Pulisic out there. Christian Pulisic is a wonderful talent, playing over in Dortmund, doing very, very well. And we look at him, but we look at him in the context of the national team. So he's doing really real well there, and we're proud of him because he's American. But how can that manifest itself in getting the, the, the national team to win the World Cup? Because ultimately that is the goal that we're trying to do. I think there are other players that if they were given the same opportunity and and were given the same moment to take a hold of that opportunity uh, that they could be successful too. But a lot of people don't look at, don't look well. Are you thinking Emerson Hyndman or? Yes. But if Emerson Hyndman maybe had had gone to Dortmund at that specific moment, because being a, being a successful professional athlete, isn't all about talent. There's lots of guys with talent out there. It's about, uh, a little bit of luck here and there. It's about getting that opportunity. It's about a guy getting injured or a guy not being available or a guy or a coaching change. All of these different things play into how successful uh, that you are. It's not just about good players because there's plenty of good players over the years that for whatever reason just haven't haven't come to fruition uh, and been the players that you thought that they could be for a number of different reasons. Some of them are individual and some of them are just uh, the, the situation and the moment and the circumstances that they that they've been in. All that is to say, look, we kick ourselves for what we haven't done. And I think we also have to step back and pat ourselves on the back for how far we've come as a nation uh, in a very, very short period of time. It's pretty impressive when you put it up against any other country and you put it up against any other league or sport in terms of the progression and the evolution that we've made. We've still got a long way to go, and I think we all recognize that. That's true. And I, but I, I do think that is sort of a – that's an easy – 
that's an easy thing to do is say, Oh, look how far we've come. You know, it's like my wife, sure. my wife's like, I need you to do these 10 things. And I'm like, yeah, but Hey, you know, so don't get mad about the other eight. There's kind of, you know what I mean? Alexi, there's a little bit of that there yeah. where, and, and in America, we expect you to at least do nine of those things. Right. We expect, we expect the best and we are America and American exceptionalism and all that. And we have not been traditionally the best in soccer as opposed to other sports. And, and that's something that we have to overcome. But we can do it in, once again, getting back to that American way. We expect people to be the best. I just think, you know, sometimes we, we want it so quickly, which is another thing that makes us great, is that we don't accept mediocrity and we don't accept, right. uh, we're not as patient maybe when it comes to being successful in things as other as other folks are. And that's okay, maybe well, just to our detriment, but how about uh, this? I if, think it also helps us. If President Trump makes you the czar of soccer, let's just Ooh, make that yeah. as a title, okay? <laughs> Already, look at that. I mean, just the word czar got you excited, Alexi. Uh, we love, make you I the czar of... be the soccer czar in if, the Trump administration. So let's say you were to take, you were able to make one change that you think would benefit our national team, our country as a whole, uh, soccer-wise, on the pitch, if you could make one change... I know we're putting you on the spot because we didn't tell you about sure, this sure, before. Sure. What change do you think you would make first? So do you want a, a change that would help soccer or a change in the rules that I think ultimately would help soccer? Because people ask me all the time, what, what kind of change would you make? But if I'm a czar, I can pretty much do anything, right? So let's, I can take both of those. <laughs> yeah, you really, you really took it. So, so, please don't yeah, make a so phone call have... to Trump after this about becoming the czar. Also, Alexi, so, take, take your crown off, yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> So, uh, so I would, uh, for, for one, um, I love the, the, the gray area and the subjective nature of our game and I will extol the virtues of it. And I think it's something that I hope we don't take out of the game. Having said that, I think the, the handling law in soccer is becoming incredibly frustrating in that nobody knows anymore what a handball is and what it isn't and trying to judge intent and was a player getting bigger and all that kind of stuff. So I would first and foremost say, look, if the ball hits your arm or your hand, it is a foul. Whether you intended it, whether you got bigger, I don't care how you dive or how the, the body normally functions. And if there are players that are good enough to hit the ball into your arm, so be it. Then there's a penalty or there's a foul, and that's just the way that it goes. It'll encourage more attack. So that would be, first and foremost, one rule that, that, uh, that I would make. Now, if I'm a czar, I don't really have to worry too much about, uh, <laughs> about how much things cost, right? So I would also say make the goals bigger. Uh, which I know is incredibly cost prohibitive uh, around the world. But you know what? Let's make the goals bigger. I will make the goals bigger. The game has changed. The ability, the, uh, the physical attributes and the athleticism of the players has changed so much over the last, uh, over the last 50 years. But let's make the goals bigger and do that. So those, those are a couple of things that I might do. I'm sure your listeners might have other things that they think would help the game. But I'm the czar and I don't have to listen. To <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're imprisoned right now. Have, so. <laughs> I, are you right now changing your Twitter name to czar, Alexi? You really bought now, into this idea. Do you guys spell it with a T or a C? <laughs> a C Z C Z. Yeah. It's not the T S. Then. No. Oh no, no. What's that? That's more Turkish, isn't it? That's more yeah, Ottoman. Yeah. Uh, I guess more Ottoman. I yeah, more <laughs> you could. You know what? You're the czar. You could do whatever you want, Alexi. That's true. Um, That's true. Well, one thing that I, I think about a lot when it comes to uh, uh, sort of, you know, the, the U.S. is obviously a larger country than other countries in in you know in in, in other federations, right? So, um, is it? You know, I don't know the in, the inner workings of U.S. soccer, but it, sometimes it does cross my mind: is is this country just too large? Is there are there too many ideas? Is is it is it going to take someone uh, who can sort of cut through the noise to 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 come to a, a, a better sort of consensus of what American soccer should look like going forward? 
I think so. But then it gets back to what we were talking. When that person comes up and says, look, this is who we are going to be. Uh, you, you, I mean, the, 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 the recognition has to be that in doing that and articulating and defining who U.S. soccer is going to be, there are going to be people that don't fit into that. And that, once again, becomes exclusionary. And that scares the bejesus out of people. And that runs counter to what we are as a country. And so, you know, there, there's, there's the rub and there's the problem. However, I think having somebody come come up and, and say, look, we can try uh, to, to incorporate everybody's ideas and, and have that melting pot type of theory. But in practice, it's it's being detrimental or it's just taking too long that, you know, that's that's something that that I think has to be looked at. But don't think for a second that it's not going to rub people the wrong way, because in any type of situation where you're going to define, hey, this is how we are going forward and either you. Either you fit in or you don't, and if you don't, you better accommodate and adapt and figure out a way to fit in. Uh, that can that can be incredibly dangerous speak, uh, in particular in the United States. But didn't Klinsman try that? And he got he? fought every step of the way. Yeah, he tried to come up with a system down the whole line, which, by the way, in my footballing knowledge, was the first time we've ever done that as a country. We're just saying at every step of the way, we're all going to learn the same style of football or yeah, soccer. I mean, yeah, but the, the the problem will be is that once again it gets back to the patience. So how long is enough to have that come to fruition? Because we all know that 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 you have to come out the other side better. And I think people looked at the that I don't think necessarily they judged the, uh, someone in his in this case Jurgen Klinsmann saying this is who we want to be. But I think what they said is that's fine, except we don't think that that's the fastest way to get to where you're going. And, and I'm sure Jurgen disagreed, but I'm I'm not so sure that he really in the, in the in the in the clear way defined actually what he wanted this team to be. Um, and, and at times, you know, I think he he was clear in the way that he talked about U.S. soccer and some of the problems. And a lot of times, and I've given him credit for this, I think he asked questions that either we hadn't asked before or were scared to answer. And that that's a good thing. I think he oftentimes he fostered some really important debate. And made us be introspective and looking at, at what we are and what we aren't and at least acknowledging it. And I think that he deserves credit for, for doing that. But ultimately, I think while while he may have had a plan, I think he had a hard time articulating it. And I think more importantly, he had a hard time buying in, not just from everybody, because you know you're not going to get buy, bought in, uh, buy in from everybody, but the people that he needed to buy in. Which on that subject, Bob Bradley. Yep. Or as we call him, Brooklyn Bob. All right. You know, he's he's a local boy. All right. We know he doesn't mess around. Don't bring him prosciutto that was electrically sliced. He wants hand crank only, you know. Uh, so that's just Brooklyn Bob, baby. Right. Is he a step back? Is he a step back for the national team? Bruce, well, I, yeah, I've been saying Bob. Bob, no I yeah, Bruce. Bob. No, he means Bruce. Yeah, I've been saying Bruce. Bob, <laughs> I, was saying. I wouldn't think that either of them. Hold on, let me ask it again, <laughs> and I'll cut that whole thing out. Ask the question. Uh, again. So <laughs> Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bruce, as we call him, Bruce Arena. Now he obviously took over the the, the national team. Some people see it as a stopgap. Some people see it as a step back. Some people say see it as a positive. Where, where do you think it lies? I tend to think it's a bit of a step backwards. 
Okay, first, I want to make sure that your listeners understand here that there was an edit before, okay? <laughs> I will and also I'm edit this out. To, I am talking to two comedians here who make their living on stage live, where there is no edit. There is no, there is no edit wow. live in, in life, okay? Czar Alexi, everybody. Now, all right? So I will, I will let, it, let them decide what to keep in and what to keep out. We're not editing so any of this out. Getting, We're going to leave it all in there. are not getting the full story here. It's but all anyway. staying in. That's my promise to you, Alexi. It's all staying in <laughs> brooklyn yeah, there's bruce no, there's no edit in life okay yeah so look uh when it comes to bruce serena is this a step back uh well it certainly is a step back in terms of uh recycling a coach from before however in this case i think that they're uh, the first off bruce serena is a very different person and coach than he was back in 2002 when he historically took the team uh, to the, the quarterfinals, yeah, to the farthest it's ever it's ever been, the, the men's team. Now, uh, I, I think that there was a recognition that this was an emergency situation. I didn't think it was an emergency situation. While while I have been critical of Jurgen Klinsmann, I didn't think if they kept Jurgen Klinsmann even after the first two losses that qualifying was going to be a problem. That the U.S. would figure it out and get the points that they needed, even if they had to go all the way to the end, and even if they had to maybe go into playoff and be that fourth spot. I didn't think that it was going that that it was uh, that Jurgen Klinsmann couldn't do that after the first two games. Obviously, the Federation did, and so they went with what was available and what they has been proven to work before. And uh, certainly in the two games that Bruce Arena has had, uh, the U.S. has looked much better and gotten the points that they need. It's nothing to say that they couldn't have gotten those points with Jurgen Klinsmann at the helm, but so be it. They made they made the change. Uh, I think that you're getting a guy in Bruce Arena that has unfinished business and that is motivated. And I like the fact that you're getting a 2017-18 version of Bruce Arena, who I think needed a fire lit after his time with the Galaxy. And I think the World Cup is the perfect fire to lit. He wants to set things right, and he wants to go out in a blaze of glory in terms of a World Cup. And I think that he will leave no stone unturned in making sure. Now, this is all temporary. This is not about development or long-term type of plans or anything. This is about the next year, let's be honest, and getting the team to Russia and then having the best possible finish that the U.S. can have in Russia. And from his perspective, doing something historic. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't deny that that certainly he's not a bad choice. But I mean, as long as the Federation understands that I don't necessarily think of him as the plan for the future. And I don't think a lot of the fans do either. So as long as the Federation knows that. Oh, he's I, gone after he's gone after the summer. I think he recognizes that and the Federation has said as much. So I think that that person for the future really look to who they hire after the after Russia 2018. And that's where you start building. And I think give you some of the things that you're looking for in terms of. Do, really doing something different and fundamentally changing the, the the makeup of that team and the way that the team plays in order to become better. Okay. All right. So we were talking about Bruce Arena. Obviously, uh, he he left the LA Galaxy to coach the men's national team, and now, well, you know, we talk about the LA Galaxy often on on our podcast because the LA Galaxy seems ten to, DPS apparently. <laughs> <they're> always, <Yeah. laughs> we always try to figure them out, but this season. Uh, it seems to be uh, they're they're struggling quite a bit, and I'm trying to figure your former team. Uh, can you ex- explain sort of where uh, you know Gio dos Santos has been? What what what? Where's this all this confusion uh, uh, with the LA Galaxy? Why are they conceding so many goals? Why are they not scoring many? Uh, any any sort right. of insight into that? So a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, obviously, you lose Bruce Serena, and Bruce Serena certainly has his faults, but the dude is a proven winner, especially when it comes to Major League Soccer. For sure. And 
and, and he just knows which buttons to push consistently through a year. And so you lose him. And so you lose an icon and you lose somebody. Do you mean, by the way, do on. you mean a button that that brings Landon Donovan back whenever <laughs> yeah, he wants? Exactly. Is that even that button? <laughs> is that a button he has? You got you to gotta break the, the glass for you that one. Break, it's a lot of broken glass at the arena household. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's yeah. Landon Donovan. It's like that cigarette, that last cigarette. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, then you have some injuries that, you know, you can't account for. They just kind of happen with... Uh, 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 Sebastian Legette going down and Jossie Zard is only recently coming back. Uh, you have uh, Robbie Keane, who in my estimation was the greatest designated player signing in MLS history, no longer with the team. You don't re-sign him. And then you go get a coach that you promote from within. And, and I know, and I've known Kurt since we were teenagers and I wish him all the, all the luck in the world, but it's not necessarily a big, sexy type of signing. And I grew up and have looked at the Galaxy as this super club as this team that is big bold arrogant and everything they do that spends a lot of money and when they win they are as interesting as when they lose uh and that can't be said for all teams for example uh, fc dallas the reason why we extol the virtues of of, of fc dallas is because they win because nobody's really that interested in, and cares that much about youth development and, and doing things uh, on the cheap or, or 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 that kind of approach they are if you win but as soon as you lose, then nobody really cares and you become irrelevant, as opposed to the Galaxy, which has built up this, uh, this credibility and this cachet of doing big, bold things. So even in a season like now where they're struggling, it's interesting that they're actually struggling because of who they are. Uh, I don't know if this is going to turn around. It does not look good. They didn't look good this past week. And they're playing Philadelphia this weekend, who is even worse than them. Yes. And hasn't won in, in, what, 250 days or something ridiculous like that? If the Galaxy end up losing at home at the StubHub Center to Philly to the Philadelphia Union, uh, then there are problems. I think Kurt Onofel's already on the hot seat, as he should be, because this is the Galaxy. By, by the way, if Kurt Onofel was the coach of, of Philadelphia, like Jim Curtin, because of their lack of relevancy, it wouldn't be that way. But he's the coach of the L.A. Galaxy, and the L.A. Galaxy expects more, and so he should be on the hot seat. And if they were to lose to Philadelphia, uh, I think that that would be a big problem for Kurt Onofel. Do you think Alessandrini was a good was a good uh, buy? He's a good buy, but I can't think of uh, a designated player that the Galaxy went out that we had to look up. Yeah, um, and and so this was something that was very very different in the way that they that they approached it. And I just hope the Galaxy doesn't look at, for example, the, the way that Red Bulls kind of completely went away from that big sexy bold type of approach, and, and that was by design and it was calculated and it certainly has worked out in terms of them being a consistent team but it doesn't necessarily excite a whole lot of people i hope the galaxy doesn't feel that they have to do that and i don't want them to do that especially with lafc coming in alessandrini is a good solid player he's not going to take the team on his shoulders he is a supporting type of player uh even as a designated player he's a supporting cast type of player Great. Um, I guess, you know, final question, you know, the, the league seems to, we always talk about how because of the playoff system, the first few matches don't really matter. We seem to get, we'd be getting past that at this point. You know, who you are is who you are at this moment. Who do you think um, can catch lightning in a bottle maybe and win the MLS Cup or the Supporter Shield? Do you think a team like Atlanta can go all the way or do you think uh, it's still too open to tell? Well, first off, talk to some player or some, some teams that are fighting for that red line finish at the end of the year about how the beginning of the season doesn't matter. And they look back when they drop points and they said, oh, it's just the beginning of the season that doesn't matter. Uh, it, it does matter. Uh, can you get hot later on in the season and, and ride into the playoffs? Yeah, you, you certainly can. But do you want to count on that? 
because what happens when you, once again, press that button uh, and it's not there? When I look at the teams right now, uh, I think Portland is really, really interesting, especially that front six. I think it's as dangerous uh, a, a front six, and I think it's as dangerous a Portland team as we've seen in, in, in its existence. Yeah, and Porter, and Porter finally figured out where to put Nagby. Nagby looks yeah, great on the left. Yeah, no, yeah, he looks really, really good cutting in, and, and he's playing with, well, it's, for, it's Nagby as much of a, a cockiness as you possibly can be, but since it's relative, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's Nagby. He's never going to be that cocky type of arrogant player that we kind of want him to be can we get you uh, to coach him i don't know i don't know man i can be his life think, coach <laughs> <laughs> that, believe you, me there are there are greater people than myself that have tried to do it if nagby walks out it. with one of those anthrax goatees and it's red <laughs> like you used to have i will know for certain he's prepared for the future <laughs> that would be that would be very very cool so yeah portland uh, i think right now i think toronto is going to be in it especially you know sebastian jovenko has, has started to score again and they're they're just a solid, solid team, as are the Red Bulls are going to consistently. I think the most interesting team has got to be Atlanta. I'm actually going to Atlanta this weekend for, uh, for a game. Atlanta's hosting uh, D.C. And the way that they have gone about, you talk about big, bold, arrogant, and spending money, they, they completely went out and, and said, this is who we are. And more importantly, at least in the initial phase, they have lived up to it. And I love people that are able to back up the talk. And they talk big. And by the way, they have backed it up from uh, from start to finish, or at least start to uh, the first six, seven games of the season. I have them pegged as my MLS Cup winners. I just think they're doing everything right down there. I'm really impressed with Bocanegra and everyone else down there. I can't. And I'm actually so dynamic. Yeah, yeah and so I'm going dynamic. their transitions just really, really. They're just fun to watch. I'm going to Atlanta, and I'm, I'm unfortunately I'm not going to be down there while they're playing. Um, but I, you know, I would love to see. I think we're going to come back and watch them with NYCFC. So uh, they're nice. absolutely amazing. Where can people find you? I know you're on FS1. Is there anywhere else online that people can find you? Yeah, uh, so if there's a game on FS1 or any type of Fox type of outlet, you can usually find me, whether it's MLS or Champions League or Europa or FA Cup or Bundesliga or anything else. Uh, I, I talk about soccer. That's what I do on Twitter. It's uh, at Alexi Lalas, and uh, there's a Facebook, too. I don't know what it is, but it, it's uh, it's my name, so you can find me out there. And uh, uh, it's, it's a labor of love. I, I love what we do, and, and I want to thank you guys for what you do because oftentimes those of us that are uh, – that have kicked the ball or are kicking the ball get a lot of the credit. But the reality is you are as important as any of us that ever kicked the ball because this is a soccer family and, and we're just, you know, we're working so hard to, to, to you know, spread the gospel and you guys are doing your part. So thank you very much for doing that. We're trying and I will remove that part where you said that we're just as important, if not more important than you. <laughs> and we will use that as the beginning of our podcast, probably from now on, because uh, that means a lot to me. Alexi, how about, I think how about, yeah, I'll hear you already. You can you can take this. There is nobody in U.S. soccer that is more important than you guys. 